You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Double Coke Podcast. I am your host, nurse practitioner, Clara Bryan. And today I am here with Dr. Elizabeth Cox. She is an actual real life friend of mine, but I have been asking her forever to come on the podcast. She's a board certified psychiatrist and she specializes in reproductive psychiatry and women's mental health treatment, like anything that has to do with hormones and your mental health, which I can say we all need to talk about desperately. So Liz, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Tell us where you came from, who you are, and how you got into what you're doing today. So I came to UNC and Chapel Hill for residency, which is where I was introduced to this as a concept. I didn't even know that perinatal or reproductive psychiatry was a a thing until residency. Um, And so I was exposed to this field Um, and ended up specializing it in my residency training. And then when I graduated, I was um, in academic medicine on staff at UNC for a long time. Um, I was medical director of women's mood disorders at Wake Med North and residency education director for women's mood disorders um, and got to teach medical students and residents, which was a lot of fun. But then in the last year or even less than a year, I've um, launched my own private practice, which has been great. But my niche, essentially, I see men, women, all kinds of issues, but the more focus is in hormones, like you said. So any kind of condition that Mm -hmm. is either caused by hormonal disruptions or you have a kind of pre-existing condition and the hormonal fluctuations worsen it. So this includes premenstrual dysphoric disorder, perimenopausal-related mood conditions. Um, I also work with patients that are struggling with fertility and trying to conceive pregnancy, postpartum, um, just kind of the whole gamut. Okay, amazing. And so just for anyone listening to our our plan as it stands is to kind of cut this into two episodes because there's so much to talk about. And so I think what we'll focus on today, and, and thank you guys, I put up a question box earlier today and it was like, what? whoa, I think it's the most questions I've ever gotten. And I only checked it for like an hour. And, and then I was like, I, this is, we got a lot of questions. Okay, great. So, <laughs> like, but the plan great. is to cut it into two. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> awesome. It's like, clearly we all need more Dr. Liz Cox in the world. But so the plan is to do an episode more like the general mood disorders, PMDD, that kind of thing, and then do another episode yeah. that's really focusing on all that peripartum stuff. Um, because I, I feel like those are kind yeah. of two different audiences potentially. And we may, anyway, we'll, we'll just, that's kind of the plan. So if you're thinking yeah. today, oh my gosh, I got through 40 minutes of this episode and they didn't talk about postpartum depression enough. Don't you worry, we are going to. But <laughs> I did want to start with just the, the generalized crap that we deal with. And so, okay, will you tell everyone what is PM, what even is PMDD? I bet there are people listening who have it and don't even know that they have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so 
PMDD is like severe PMS. It's PMS on steroids. So PMS is really common and typical. PMS is like 75% of women, at least, if not more. And that is just mild symptoms, like maybe a few emotional symptoms a couple of days before your period, but it's not so severe that it's really impacting your functioning in your life. PMDD is a lot more symptoms that are more intensely impacting your life. And it happens like a week or sometimes two weeks before your period. And the symptoms kind of start to get a little better as your period starts and slowly resolves over the course of your period. And once your period's over, you won't really have symptoms for a week or two. So textbook PMDD, the prevalence is like 6% or so. And it's you think of it as like having some symptoms where you feel like real irritable, really anxious, depressed, really moody, along with some physical symptoms for about half the month, kind of. It half is the month? I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, significant. Yeah. And it's triggered not so much by absolute, it's not absolute hormone levels, but it's changes in hormones that cause the symptoms. And it's the changes in hormones in susceptible patients. So estradiol and progesterone fluctuations, and if you have a sensitive brain to this, can wreak havoc and cause these symptoms. Um, And so you have your period, and then that's like day one of your cycle. If you have a perfect 28-day cycle, you ovulate on day 14, and that's when the symptoms would start. So day 14, ovulation starts, And that triggers this fluctuation in estradiol and progesterone. And so it's like that bell curve of up and down. And it's that creeping up and the creeping back down, just the actual changes in the levels that can cause the symptoms. Okay. So it sounds like you're saying it's not the specific level or number of hormone, like your estrogen's too high or your testosterone's too low, but it's that person's specific reaction to the changes or the fluctuation in hormones at all? Yes. It's just certain brains are more sus- more sensitive and susceptible to these fluctuations and changes, the increases and the decreases in estradiol and progesterone that happen during that phase, the luteal phase of your menstrual cycle. So sometimes people will come in and say, I think I need to get my hormones checked. And there are certain conditions where you should get your hormones checked and, you know, you're not having regular periods or you're concerned you're going into perimenopause and a whole host of of reasons why you might check hormone levels. But for PMDD specifically, it's not a diagnosis based on hormone levels because the levels of hormones don't have anything to do with it. It's the sensitivity to changes. So it's really more of a diagnosis based on tracking your symptoms in a timeline So you chart and we want to know when you're having symptoms throughout the month and when you're not having symptoms. Okay, that's so interesting because I do feel like we're in this place right now where everyone wants their hormones checked all the time and all we hear about is balancing hormones. And that's such a difficult conversation. I think this is such a good example of like, hey, depending on like, like, what are you looking for? You know, why do you want your hormones checked and, and what are we is that going to change the management? Right. 
I mean, if you're having other physical symptoms and other concerns where, you know, you haven't gotten a period in a really, really long time, like then maybe you need to get them checked to see what else is going on. But for this specifically, yeah, um, it's, it's not, not something not we'd be level. looking to do. Mm-mm. So when you treat, when you treat these cycle related mood disorders, you're not treating with hormones, you're treating with well, SSRIs or what? Or I'm saying I have no idea. Some, that's yeah, sort of no, a question. Sometimes you, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> you are. Yeah. So yeah. It, well, and this is one that's tricky. So hormones, taking a birth control pill can help some women, but for other women, it makes them worse. And so oh, it's kind cool. of like luck of the draw. But little trial ideally, and error. you might know, like, let's say you tried it when you were younger and like, you're like, oh my gosh, it made me feel crazy. Then you're in that category that it's going to make you feel worse. And we would not do that again. If you took birth control years ago and did fine on it, then you'd probably be a good candidate. The key is, is that it needs to be dosed in a certain way. So it's because the changes in the levels can cause symptoms for some women, it's Mm -hmm. needing to take it continuously. And so it needs to be like a low dose continually taken to prevent those ups and downs of your hormones. The fluctuation. Um, There's certain there's certain ones that you don't want to take then. So like a tri Okay, somebody where, asked that. Like literally, what is the best birth control for that? That was one of the questions. So this is super helpful. So you don't want to be on one that's like a different color pill each week that's different hormone levels. You'll feel okay. real crazy and awful. Okay. If you want to be on one like generic Yasmin or Yaz is fine. Seasonique mm-hmm. is one that's formulated specifically for PMDD where it's three months at a time. And then you have the sugar pills for a period, but you could take something like a Yasmin or Yaz. It's just that your prescriber needs to write it in such a way that it lasts long enough that you skip the sugar pills. And the then week that you have your period, which pe- people yes. mean, I feel like most women know that, but then I'm like actually kind of shocked sometimes that I, not everyone knows that that different color week is nothing. And, and the sugar. pill is just keeping you in the habit of taking the pill every day. Yeah. But that's so that you can actually have your period. And we know there's right. really no, unless you're having issues, there's really no medical reason that you have to have your period. Like if you can skip it through a, a pill, you can. So right. do you, it would, would that be something too, where they can just go a year and, and never have a period? Or do you kind of want to make sure they're still able to, or how does that work? Well, it just depends. So I usually coordinate and have their gynecologist write the script for the birth control. I tell them which kinds to ask for and how we would want it dosed. I don't want to miss something like, oh my gosh, I forgot to ask that you have migraines or some sort of contraindication because I don't prescribe birth control all the time. So I just, and I tend to let that go in the OBGYN lane. But um, with different GYNs that I've worked with, it depends on the clinician of how often they want someone to have a period. I've heard yeah. some advise their patients every three months, every six months, every nine months. Um, so, and I also think it depends on the patient and the person. Some people are kind of freaked out to not ever have it. They want to see that and have that reassurance. <laughs> right. Um, so it just depends. That's so interesting. So, and someone had asked the question too, SSRI didn't help me with the PMDD. So what's next? Well, it's, it sounds like there's multiple that I mean, they may, may need to just get on a different birth control or get on birth control yeah. at all. Right. Well, so birth control, 
There's some low hanging fruit in terms of like holistic lifestyle interventions. So some things are just like kind of looking at what you're doing and what you're taking in your body on a regular basis. There are certain things that we want to cut back on and minimize. And so that's like caffeine, too much caffeine can be Mm -hmm. problematic for symptoms, alcohol, cigarettes, sugar, sodium, you know, fun things. And then increasing aerobic exercise is helpful. Making sure you're getting good quality sleep is helpful. So those are all kind of different things to make sure are going on in, in the rest of your life. There's some supplements that have some data. They're not super strong data. Calcium has some decent data, magnesium, vitamin B6, what else? Maybe even vitamin E might have a little bit of data. It's not super robust. But those are kind of like some low-hanging fruit to consider. Charting Mm -hmm. your symptoms themselves and just kind of knowing and having the psychoeducation of like, this is what's happening in my body and can help be helpful too once you kind of have the knowledge of this is what's going on. And then you know that that time to treat yourself more gently and to use some different therapeutic tools can be beneficial. Your loved ones can know like, this is where we are. Maybe I'm not going to broach that specific topic or um, put myself in certain situations that might be more stressful if possible. But if an SSRI hasn't worked, treatment algorithms, if we're, let's say we're not talking about PMDD, but we're talking about generalized anxiety disorder or major depressive disorder. If one SSRI hasn't worked, the next thing to do is to try another SSRI. Mm-hmm. If two SSRIs don't work either because they're just not effective or you have side effects, the next category to go to is an SNRI. So mm-hmm. those increase serotonin and norepinephrine. And of those, venlafaxine or Effexor has some data for being helpful for PMDD. So that would, that would be another option. We also have some options to dose certain medicines as needed during the luteal phase of somebody's cycle. There's a small study that was done at UNC looking at low-dose quetiapine or Seroquel in like teeny, teeny, tiny doses at bedtime. Mm-hmm. And I've used that with good results for some women that are refractory to other things. It's interesting because the fluctuation in hormones is is also, I'm sure you have to talk about this a lot, but a big, can be a big component of migraines for a lot of women. And yeah. then hearing effects, or I'm like, gosh, I, I bet it it's all so interconnected, but we end up, I say we, I mean, I'm because I'm a woman and I've had some, not PMDD, but migraines. And I've kind of been in this world where I feel like you end up seeing all these different specialists who, you know, are focused in their lane, which is what you, as you should be as a specialist. But I I just, I hear so much crossover, even in the supplements that you were mentioning. It's like, there's, there are a few things that it sounds like we really need to probably pay more attention to. Um, Yeah. And it gets really complicated and then you feel like crap and then you get in this cycle and you can't get out of it. I'm, I'm sure that's yeah. really difficult. But I mean, I really think that's why we look at somebody as a full person and that all of the different like specialists, everybody needs to be talking, you know, and yeah. coordinating yeah. care. And when you're not, that doesn't serve anybody. Well, someone actually asked too, and this is like probably could be its own episode, but how do I get my doctor or APP to listen during such a short appointment? You know, I mean, I would imagine now like you being in private practice versus academia, you probably have an hour where you may have had 15 minutes before. And that's really 
difficult. I mean, on both sides as the patient and the provider. I mean, that's really difficult. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's really nice. That's been one of my favorite things about being on my own now is being able to like really slow down with people because you want to be able to give everybody their, your full attention and the situation, the full attention that it deserves. I think on the patient end, I think, gosh, such a good question, but um, feeling confident and advocating for yourself that your questions matter and, and, and going in sure of yourself and maybe make like a little list of things that you want to cover and, and just being direct. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think you can be direct without being confrontational. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard. Like you said, keep a, like a log of your symptoms. It, it can be hard. I think when someone comes in and they're sort of more vague and, and don't have, you're trying to kind of get through the weeds in yeah. this 10, 15 minute appointment. But if someone yeah. has been really tracking their symptoms and yeah. keeping track of this is what I have tried. This is what I haven't tried. That's, I think that can be really helpful. Oh yeah. Hugely. I mean, you could, if you really think this is what you have in particular, if you think you have PMDD, you can go online and pull up some of these trackers these rating scales and you could print some of them out and you should start tracking your symptoms at home along. So you want to mark when you're bleeding, like when you're actually having your period and what Mm -hmm. symptoms you're noting and track it over a month or two. And if you brought that in and you're like, look, I'm noticing these are my symptoms. This is happening. You know, I, your clinician would be so thankful that you were yeah. um, organized in that way. It's not, you don't yeah. have to do that, but, but that could but be really helpful. helpful. Yeah, it is. It's helpful. And I do, I mean, I sympathize it. It's hard. There are times when I have certainly felt nuts, you know, advocating for myself or my children in particular. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, do they think I have Munchausen? Like, I'm sure that they do. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But it is hard. We, I, I want people to know, like, I, I feel you. I promise it's really hard. But yeah. So, okay. And you were kind of touched on the beginning. There's, we talked a lot about PMDD, but that there are other disorders that we're diagnosed with, whether it's general anxiety or depression or something like that, that, that hormonal fluctuations will, will worsen. That's not necessarily PMDD. So can you touch on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So there's the PMDD, but then there you could have like a chronic mood disorder or anxiety disorder with luteal phase worsening. So that's the it, that it worsens around your luteal phase. It looks a lot like PMDD, but it's there all the time. Like you still have some like pretty significant down days or sig- significant anxiety when you're not in the luteal phase is what distinguishes it but it still can benefit from continuous low-dose birth control and adjusting similar medications. The one thing I think to mention too treatment-wise, so there's kind of an unusual treatment option. If you have true PMDD, you could be treated half the month and not treated the other half of the month, which doesn't make sense from the mechanism of action with traditional SSRIs. So when I would teach okay. this to the medical students and they would be like, what? That, that, that makes no sense. Taking an someone SSRI, on and off. 
yeah, you have to take it and it takes four to six weeks to reach steady state. You've got to take it every day for it to work. It doesn't work immediately. But there's something about the way that estrogen and serotonin interact that you can take an SSRI, like you could take Prozac, for example, fluoxetine, generic Prozac, just during your luteal phase for PMDD mm-hmm. and not take it the rest of the month. So you could take it two weeks out of the month. For me, if I were taking something, I would have a hard time remembering to do that and would be right. just kind of tricky. But some people either that are really sensitive to medications and side effects or they just don't like the idea of being on something all month really prefer that and it can work well. But you'd have to but, be like super in tune with your like your yeah, cycle your and cycle. tracking your days and all of that, mm-hmm. which some people are. I'm literally yeah. feel like it's kind of like the weather for me. Like every time it <laughs> rains, I'm like, what? How, how did, who knew it's going to rain today? Like I'm sorry once a month. Like what? Like where did this yeah. come from? Like it's, it's just some sort of shock, right? Like <laughs> if, literally every time. Yeah. But there are people I, who are uh, the absolute opposite like totally i'm not personally organized enough for it but no but I, I understand its utility for some i get it but yeah. with that that's so if somebody has a more chronic they might be on like a let's say they're on like 20 milligrams of prozac during half the month and then their symptoms worsen and they could just increase for half the month and then go back down that's another option if you've got more of a chronic situation with worsening just around the luteal phase some people will opt to do that again, maybe because the rest of the month, if they're on 30 or 40, they feel like they have side effects. But then during those couple of weeks, they don't have side effects because their symptoms are kind of warranting more medication. So there's some different kind of nuanced things we can do with dosing, depending on what, what it is that we're treating. Okay. That's super interesting. We're going to take a break and then I'm going to ask you another question. I want to tell you guys about my favorite supplement company, Thorn. Our family personally uses several of their products. So I use their collagen in the morning, and then I use a few things that were recommended by my headache doctors. The reason we use Thorn is they are so high quality, highly tested. They don't have fillers like so many other supplement companies do. They have partnerships with hospitals and organizations all over the country, like Mayo Clinic, Medical University of South Carolina, the UFC, huge athletic organizations. So if you are looking for high quality supplements, I always recommend Thorn. You can get 15% off any Thorn products by going to Thorn, that's Thorn with an E, thorn.com slash U slash Dabbleco. Create an account and you'll get 15% off and free shipping every time. I'll put that link in the show notes. Hampton Clothing has been a staple of Charleston and nationally renowned boutique for over a decade. So it is my personal go-to for those incredibly unique, high quality pieces that truly stand the test of time, honestly, and elevate my simple wardrobe every day. I love being able to text my stylist and have her always keeping an eye out for me for pieces that I'll love when things go on sale, things that I can pair with what I already have. So if you're looking for brands and styles that you can't find anywhere else, Hampton is a must. Okay, so this is, it's fascinating to me. And I feel like, I don't know, it's it's just so fascinating. I just, I, I feel like it's so timely because I, I cannot have another conversation about like balancing hormones and I want to get my hormone checked. I, I just, yeah. because I, I just I feel know. like too, I used to do this in thyroid land a lot where we want so badly for our hormones to be 
the problem because we think, well, then there, then somehow I can take like a hormone to fix it, but it's just not that it's just not that simple. And you're like sometimes robbing Peter to pay Paul. I feel like yeah. I don't know if you feel. Well, and I'm, I'm all for like supplements and natural options when they're available. But I also think there's so much stigma here. And somehow if it's like, if it fits into this box, that it's somehow like better. But I've seen a lot of people too come to me on some like banana supplements that right. I don't understand. Like one of them had lithium in it. Oh my gosh. What? It was only, you- it was a, t- it was a tiniest bit, but I was like, that their oh. chiropractor was giving them. Don't. I can't. Um, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there right now. But I am going to ask. Okay. <laughs> someone asked me a question and they said, what What would she recommend if I've been on, like, let's say an SSRI for years and I'm trying to get off? And I will say, like, this is something that my, gosh, I haven't seen him in forever. Shout out Dr. McKinney. But when I first was like, I have legit anxiety. Like I need to see a psychiatrist. And the second or third time I tried to get off my Prozac, I don't know who makes Prozac, but if you would like to sponsor this podcast, I would, <laughs> I'm here for that. Love it. And like the second or third time I tried to get off, he was like, okay, what, what, why do you feel like yeah. you need to be off this medication? Because it's not, it doesn't go well, or it would like go well for a couple months. And then I'd be like, well, panic attacks and yeah and I was like I don't know like I I couldn't even really answer it there was there's no good answer it was just my brain or society I don't know was telling me like oh well you shouldn't be on this medication long term so I mean I don't know if you would have a similar what's what's your thinking when people are trying to get off a medication or is it bad to be on a medication for like this for forever Well, so I think it all depends on what we're treating and what the condition is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so there, if someone has like chronic anxiety and you know that you end up developing panic attacks and like that you do well staying on it, by all means, stay on it. There's this kind of prophylactic of like staying on something to prevent future relapses of symptoms, right? And the more times that you've had different types of symptoms when trying to come off of things, the greater likelihood is that there's going to be some relapse of symptoms later on, in which case it might make sense to take something longer term. And with medicines like SSRIs, there are plenty of like little old ladies that take SSRIs and are fine. You know, it's not like a major risk for, for most of those, you know, there's some exceptions with some of them that have more like anticholinergic activity, like paroxetine or Paxil can have like some mild increase in dementia risk. But for the regular SSRIs, it's not something we're like, we're overly worried about. But if you have kind of a more situational story where like, there was this disruptive life event, like a major loss or Mm -hmm. a major situation, right? And you did some therapy, you took a medication, and then you worked through whatever that situation was, and the symptoms kind of calmed down. You want to make sure that life is pretty calm and things are pretty steady and that you feel much better. And it's been a long enough time. Like the minimum is six or nine months of taking something before trying to taper off of it. It's longer than that if we're looking at a perinatal situation because your hormones are fluctuating more. So that's a different story, but just a for general conditions, six to nine months. 
And then it's got to be a real gradual taper. And if you notice as you're lowering the dose that you're having a lot more symptoms return, it's probably too soon and you're still probably benefiting from the medication. Once you totally stop it, there can be about two weeks of like a withdrawal phenomenon for an SSRI. Some people are not sensitive to that at all and don't experience it. Others feel kind of a general malaise, kind of achiness, flu-like, sometimes brain zaps, maybe feeling a little bit edgy, irritable, anxious for like one to two weeks. Okay. If it lasts longer than two weeks, then it's probably untreated symptoms. Or if it feels so significantly problematic in that two weeks, like you're having panic attacks and you're having like really big symptoms, then it's probably untreated symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me personally, it was, we just live, I mean, that's our life. Like we're, uh, there's never going to be a time where there's, well, not never, hopefully, hopefully there's going to be a time where there's not like a major stressor, but we move a lot, kids, job change, company. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's like. Maybe when we're retired, I don't know, then I, then I can get off my SSRI, but not, not right now. But for now, now, it's working. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And what are, okay, two to three things. I feel like you kind of already touched on this, but tangible, oh, wait, let me, okay, let me ask you this question first and then I'll go there. And that'll be my last question. What do you think about ketamine? Because somebody asked that and I love ketamine, but I don't do this for a living. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it's great. I had several patients when I was at UNC that I had treated through the intranasal Spravato treatment mm-hmm. that were refractory to other things. So like their traditional antidepressants weren't working well for them, or they had side effects to them, or their symptoms were just like intense and their medicines weren't working the right way anymore. And they did really well, um, the people that I referred for that. So I think it can be wonderful. Um, and it's got good data for um, refractory pain control. In terms of PMDD-specific data for ketamine, I don't know that that research exists, but I could be wrong. I haven't done a literature search. If there is, it's probably very new. But I think it's a great treatment Tool, um, tool in the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that just came up and I... I just feel like it's such a newer thing that people don't know is an option. And it's been really life-changing for, for some patients that, that we know. So, okay. And then the last thing, and then I'll let you go. Cause I know it's, I've taken up a lot of your time today and we have to do a second episode. <laughs> um, okay. Someone asked, what are two to three tangible things I can do like daily for my mental health? I know you're going to say exercise, which is honestly true. And people just don't love to hear that. But mental health walks are very real. They're very real. It's not just a TikTok trend. Yeah. No, I mean, I think movement is crucial. Like if if I don't move a little bit every day, I am like, I feel very anxious. So that's, that's a huge one for me. I also just think this is going to sound silly or simple, but having intention behind things that you're doing for yourself is self-care like depend like let's say there's a lot going on and a lot swirling around you like i will pour myself like my athletic grades and like my like special water and like my different things that i'm doing in the morning and it's like i let everybody else know i will get to you in a minute but i'm doing this for me and i try to like focus in on that as self care mm-hmm. in a way it's something that has to get done anyway but just finding little pockets of like something nice to do for yourself Breathing is also really beneficial. 
and there's different, more formal breathing approaches and different breathing exercises, but there's belly breathing you can do. If you don't have like a yoga practice or instructions on how to to do breathing exercises, a simple thing to do is just to set a timer for Mm -hmm. like three minutes and to just sit and just focus on counting your breaths, trying to inhale for four counts, hold for four counts, exhale for six and hold for two. So it's kind of like this really long, a little bit bigger than a box breath, but that is really helpful. If you're feeling really stressed out, kind of grounding yourself in nature is helpful. I know this sounds a little woo-woo, but no, it's true. stepping outside and using your five senses. So what do you hear? Like the leaves crinkling, any bird sounds? What do you feel beneath your feet? And it's called grounding, but like grounding yourself into the earth and feeling the earth beneath you. You can even do barefoot, but working through your five senses to bring you back into the present moment can be really helpful to do outside, or you can do that in the shower. You can take a mindful shower and like smelling your shampoo and like massaging your head. I mean, these are all activities that need to be done at some point, you know, Um, but Mm -hmm. just kind of taking the ordinary and trying to make it a little bit more mindful for self-care. Yeah, no, and I love that you're, yeah, we've talked a lot about medications and and hormones, but that you're also like, hey, listen, it's also really important to take a walk, move your body and go outside and listen to the leaves for a minute and like get back to, get back to nature. We move so fast. There's just like so, like, it's like frenetic and this time of year so chaotic, so, so busy that it's okay to like take a beat and like before you rush out of your car into your house to just like sit there for a minute or two before you go in is all right. You know, I can confirm that is, I would (laughs) recommend you sit in your car until you are ready to enter your house. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to do another episode here soon on specifically peripartum conditions too, or we'll touch on things like perinatal, you know, depression and anxiety, particularly postpartum. But can you tell people in the meantime, where to find you? Oh, yes. So my practice website, I'm at resetyourhealthandwellness.com. It's all spelled out. Your is spelled out and is spelled out. And then this is awful that I don't know this, but I have an Instagram handle and I don't know what it is, Claire. Oh my gosh. We'll look, we will look it up and put it in the show notes for you. <laughs> it is at reset underscore health and wellness. I love that. I love that for you. <laughs> I'm real it. active on there. Not at all. Yeah, but. I can tell. Yes. Yes. <laughs> love it. It's crushing the social. No, I mean, you don't have to be. You're like busy being a doctor. I'm so like, I don't know. We get it. We get it. No, this was amazing. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming and listening to this episode today. Definitely tune in for episode number two. Thank you to Dr. Cox for being here and we will have her back here shortly. And as always, if you liked this episode, please rate it and subscribe. That's how people find us and we get great guests and I'll see you next week. Thanks, Claire. 